This is Food First Michigan on 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone and thanks for listening. Leaders see better before and beyond the rest of us. The ability to communicate that vision of a better tomorrow is crucial to a leader's effectiveness. Today, our guest is Monique Stanton, CEO of the Michigan League for Public Policy, and Monique has a strong vision of a better tomorrow for all of Michigan, especially kids and seniors. Two people groups that those of us working in food security are absolutely committed to helping. Today, Monique will help us break down some of the policy changes and investment the Michigan Legislature and Executive Office have worked to create. We will tie in a bit of history, lessons learned about our work, and paint a beautiful picture of a better tomorrow for our state and beyond. Join Jerry Brisson, Monique Stanton, and me, Dr. Phil Knight, next on this edition of Food First Michigan. back, everyone. As promised, Jerry Brisson joins me in the WJR studio. And Jerry, nice to see you again, as always. Right back at you, doctor. But we're not going to dilly-dally around here talking about me and you because Monique Stanton is back in the studio with us. Monique, welcome back, the CEO and president for the Michigan League for Public Policy. And I'm reading your bio. You are a graduate from Aquinas College. I am, yes. And from Marygrove with a master's in social justice. So we got to dig into it. We got to get the layers off that onion a little bit. Uh, So tell us. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, so I went to Aquinas. I studied history and communication and and theater. Thought I wanted to be a teacher and went in a different direction. Uh, And then I got my master's from Marygrove in social justice. It was one of the first programs of its kind, really focusing on how do we make community change and how do we make sure that people that are most impacted by issues are at the center of policy solutions. So I'm going to have to, being a a philosophy major, I got to give you a Thomas Aquinas quote. That's one of my, since you went to the school named after him, Thomas Aquinas, and you're going to love this, Jerry, sorrow can be alleviated by good sleep, a bath, and a glass of wine. <laughs> I love this guy. Right. Uh, I, I have a 14-month-old, and I will say that all of those things ring true. <laughs> so, well, welcome back. We're so thankful you're back with us here. Uh, this is your, actually, I guess we would say your third trip yep. to the show. Third time. Um, and it's great to have you back. And thanks for leading so well with such excellence on policy measures that impact families across Michigan. So, Great. Thanks for having me. Let's dive into some of those. Uh, We've had some really cool things happen because in our Feeding America network nationally, uh, when I go to those meetings with the other state association directors, they will often point to us in Michigan and say, how did you guys get that done? And of course, I take all the credit that I can, but with that group, but I really should be pointing them to 
to you and your team and how you're out front on some of the policies. So I'm going to say of all the policies that we've had adjustments to and created, what's your favorite? I would say the earned income tax credit, working family tax credit in Michigan. I think that is something that transforms people's lives. It was a long fight for our organization. Uh, we've, it was first created in Michigan in 2006 at a 20% level. Uh, then it was reduced in 2011 to 6%. Mm-hmm. We were part of that fight to make sure that that credit wasn't eliminated uh, completely because we knew down the road, it would be easier to increase something than create something new. And this year in Michigan, we were able to get it to 30%. And that that means dollars in the hands of families that are low income. And those that can be used for things like food and utilities and childcare and medical bills. And, and the other piece that I love about the earned income tax credit or the working families tax credit is that it was a coalition of mm. organizations and people from both sides of the aisle a wide range of groups from organizations like us and you guys and uh, chambers of commerce and banks and business and united ways and philanthropy saying that this was a priority and it was something that we were able to actually get done. I love that. And the coalition building, mm-hmm. uh, there was just so much positive momentum. It would have been really hard to mm-hmm. say no to this. And it makes such a difference. And again, I like the aspect that Michigan was, did I hear you say was the first to have a program like this in 2006? And No. So, so there is a federal tax, uh, federal earned income tax credit. We are many, one of many states. And in 2006, we were able to create a Michigan-specific okay. tax credit. So it actually started uh, at the federal level under Gerald Ford. So we love right. our, our Michigan president. <laughs> it was expanded under Clinton. I believe it was expanded under Bush. And so this is something that has a long history of bipartisan support. And our in our hyper-polarized climate, I think it's important to point to things that have true bipartisan support and a history of doing that. It did unite us. It did not Mm -hmm. divide us. Correct. You know, anything we can do to make work pathways better for low-income people is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Anything we can do. Because, again, so much of what we depend on in our life is that history of our work. Where did we work? How long did we work there? Did we get opportunities for a promotion? I mean, the fact of the matter is the more we incentivize work, the more we enable and empower families over the long run to be, you know, self-sufficiency is the lowest standard, right? What we really want is to move from sufficiency thinking to abundance thinking. Right. And we know that the most common pathway to abundance is whatever that work history is. And it, it can be in entrepreneurism. It can be, you know, working in a company. It can be working for yourself. Right. There's so many things that 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 can look like. But a tax credit that that incentivizes and supports and helps promote a work history that's richer and longer ultimately has a huge impact on families and that's what we want, right? That's what everybody wants. That's what families want. Right. You know, sometimes, you know, one of the things we talk about often is how the people imagine that families 
uh, don't want that, that they'd rather do nothing and get something for it. And it's so not true. Right. It's so, absolutely not true. It's, it's not it, the story of anybody. Right. That's, that, and <clears throat> that kind of thinking is pretty stigmatizing for people that are low income and are struggling. So one of the things that's important about the earned income tax credit and some of the other types of support when we talk about healthy Michigan and Medicaid expansion is that when you're struggling, whether you, if you can't get to work because your car broke down and, and we have an abysmal transit system, right. whether you're in Detroit or the UP or Northern Michigan, transit is an issue in our state. If you are struggling with health, uh, if you can't get child care, it makes it impossible to go, go to, to go to work. And so when you're living in poverty and you're struggling, you're really making choices between difficult things. Do I make sure that I get food on the table or pay my gas bill so I can have heat? Do I pay for my child care or do I fix my car? And things like the EITC help alleviate some of those burdens to support families so so they're able to, to get on a, on a better path in life. I'm thinking Abraham Maslow would have probably voted for this legislation. Yes, yeah, we're talking about hierarchy <laughs> of needs there. here, right, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. So the, just to put a bow on this one and then we'll go to the next your next favorite one uh, Jerry when you talk about you know uh, just thinking about sufficiency it's not enough we need to think about abundance I think the same way about bipartisan many of the issues that we're going to talk about today in my mind are nonpartisan right they're just good policy that incentivize work and help people Bipartisanism is often the lowest level that you can agree upon. Right. We should be agreeing much higher than that on some of these ideas that we're going to talk about today because they're good. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're morally good. They make good financial sense. They help people. And that's what the wealth of the nation is really designed to do. Right. 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 So so one of the things when we talk about the budget in Michigan, whether you're talking about our state budget, local budget, county budget, your personal budget, these are oftentimes choices around what you value, especially if you have discretionary funding. Uh, And so at the state and at the federal level, we are making policy choices about what we value. We see the budget at, at the league as a moral document. So things like childhood poverty are policy choices that we should not be making. And if we have the momentum to make a decision like expanding the child tax credit, which we did temporarily at the federal level, we saw a sharp decline in childhood poverty. Right. When we increased the child tax or when we dropped the child tax credit, we saw an immediate subsequent, you know, more than doubling of childhood poverty in the United States. That's a decision that we made, and that's something that has long-term consequences Mm -hmm. with toxic stress for children, brain development, that we don't have to make. And so we want to make sure that we're using our dollars for things like the earned income tax credit, for equitable school funding, for expanding free and free uh, breakfast and lunch in Michigan, so so kids and families have what they need to to thrive and, and be successful. So just to piggyback that point and get this current to right here today, right. here's where we're at. When we lost the child tax credit, mm-hmm. um, and we saw, as you said, a sharp uptick in children li- back living in poverty, Feeding America released an um, updated report uh, from the USDA 
regarding child uh, regarding food insecurity in general, but I'll just pull out the number of people living in food insecure households in the United States in 2022 increased to 44 million, including 13 million children. That's an increase of 31% over the previous year. And I think we can directly point to a cause of that being the child tax credit. Child tax credit, reduction in food assistance, all of these things are direct policy choices that start off at a level that, that is way up you know, at the top. Yes. But that impacts that individual, that mom, that dad that is trying to make ends meet for their child. And so we, we really shouldn't have children that are hungry. We shouldn't have adults uh, that are hungry in, in the United States. We, have, we are a wealthy nation. We should be choosing to use our resources in a way that support um, the most uh, vulnerable people in our country. Absolutely. I just want to say amen. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is one place that hunger should should exist, and that's in the history book. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a perfect the only quote. place. Correct. Correct. Uh, it, should, it should come off the table, and uh, hunger should be replaced with access to the food that people want and need that's healthy and nutritious. Right along with everything that goes with it. Um, And I think that's a moral responsibility. Absolutely. And I would also throw in here another Food First Michigan value statement, and that is you have to help people where they're at, not where you wish they were. Right. If you're broke down on the side of the road, God forbid, and you need a tow truck, and they'll say, you call the tow truck whose name of the company is, we'll almost get there, you called the wrong tow truck. <laughs> you need somebody who will come all the way to meet you where you're at. Not a half mile short is good enough. You got to come all the way to meet people where they're at and get them the help that they need that they cannot do for themselves. That's our responsibility. That's the purpose of the wealth of the nation. We have too many people who are willing to just yell at you and say, you should have got a spare tire. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, well, but it's all balancing, right? We we got to meet everyone where they are, right? And those are people that agree with us and people that disagree with us. We all have a lot to learn. We haven't solved these problems yet. Right. So in order to do it, we have a lot of learning to do. So I just want to throw that into the mix and then... Uh, yeah, I'm not doing my job. So let's take a break here. <laughs> Sorry, that was too good of a conversation. And uh, we'll be right back with Monique Stanton in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry Brisson here in the studio with me, and we are accompanied by Monique Stanton, the president and CEO for the Michigan League for Public Policy. And I'm telling you, Monique, people are looking at Michigan for the positive changes that have happened to help families. Mm -hmm. And you shared one of your favorites and maybe your second favorite. Um, What else is going on that's so great for the people? I mean, one thing that we're all concerned about is is how do we grow our population as well? 
Right. So so some of the other things that we were really excited about for the 2024 budget were uh, supporting uh, safe homes, safe water, a big increase and a new way to how we allocate school funding. So we have a new equitable school funding formula. It's weighted. So for children that are living in areas of concentrated poverty, have high percentages of learning disabilities, uh, English language learners, we, we are having increased investments in, the, in those particular schools. Ooh. So we can recognize some of the challenges in, in school. So we think that's really positive. We've also removed the five-year waiting period for health care coverage from Medicaid and CHIP for lawfully residing immigrant families in Michigan. And so we know you need health care. You shouldn't have to wait five years to access that health care uh, because that, you know, if you wait five years, that problem at the year six is going to be worse. And so we want to make sure we get health care when we need it. We saw increases in um, our funding for local health departments. And we also saw a de- significant deposit in our housing and community development fund. So really good, exciting stuff that the through line through this budget was issues of equity and making sure that we're using our dollars to address poverty and and racial disparities within our state. So just to to get to that word equity, Mm -hmm. it's a word that a lot of people use, but not everybody really understands what it Mm -hmm. means. So do you have a good way to level set? What does equity mean? Right. So when we talk about equity, we're not talking about the sameness or or exactness, so one person gets this, so another person gets this. We're talking about how do we address historic disparities that are often related and primarily related to both race and income in our state. And so we're using in investments in our state to address those discrepancies so we're able to make sure that there are pe- better and more positive outcomes for people. And I think one of the quick examples of that was all the way back to COVID and the distribution of the vaccines when they first came out. Right. Uh, I mean, you could see the glaring gaps. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy that we as a state moved to address those. Right. Because we acted on that value. So <clears throat> another way that we think about equity and, and explaining it is um, imagine a group of people that are behind a fence trying to see over it, right? One of those people is six foot two, one of those people is five foot two, one of those people is a child. If you want everybody to see over the fence, you need to have different supports for them just based on where they are, right? So if you gave everybody a one foot stand to see over that fence, only the six foot two tall person would be able to see over it right? The other two people would not be able to see over the fence. And so equity isn't about giving everyone the same support. It's giving them the support they need so that everyone has the same opportunity, mm-hmm. right? And so so sometimes when people hear equity, what they hear is it's unfair, right? They hear everyone, some people want to say everyone should just get the same thing. The problem with everyone getting the same thing is not everybody needs the same thing. So what we have to keep looking at is what is the objective? What is the goal? What is is it everyone is striving for? And then how do we make sure everyone has the support they need to get what they're striving for? If we do that, we're going to have a better community, right? Because now, I mean, seeing over a fence is a really simple idea. But if your goal is to have transformational wealth in your family... You have to say not everyone 
needs the same support to get there. Some people need different supports to get there. And it's not unfair. It's how you level the playing field. Right now, because there's historic injustice for particular populations, which you were mentioning before, it adds to the conversation about why are things unfair now? Right. And now historic cons- uh, history is, is exceptionally important. So we want to talk about things like investments made after World War Two. We saw with the GI bills the ability to create transformational wealth building. But black and brown communities didn't have access to that. And so we know that that housing uh, is a way we transfer wealth from one generation to the next. But because Mm -hmm. of those investments, you saw a significant boom in the middle class. But black and brown communities were left out. And so part of what we have to do is look at what has been our historic economic system, our policies that created some of these disparities, and what can we do to address that and and unravel that so we can build things like generational wealth in black and brown communities and other communities in our state. And if you don't want people to be dependent on help, then you have to fix those systems. Mm -hmm. And that's just the the price you have to pay, Right. right? And I know I hear from people, well, it's not my fault. I didn't do that, but now I have to pay the price. But Dr. Phil has a really good way of looking at that, and it has to do with buying a house with a leaky roof. Do you want to? Do you want to tell that yourself, Doctor? Yeah. Well, it's pretty simple in the fact that you know, if if I just bought, a, I just sold a house, and this is true, and I just bought my next house, and and the roof leaks, so I'm not, I can't, I don't have the opportunity to go to the previous owner. I, I, they're not going to come back and fix it. They, they're not responsible for the roof anymore. I'm, it's my roof. So the problems that we inherit today, my mentor would say that if you don't address that problem in three years of your leadership, you can't blame anybody else. Hmm. You have to own the problem today. And so that's the principle. Whatever happened from 400 years ago until today I may not have had anything to do with 400 years ago, but it's still my problem. I have to own it today. Mm-hmm. I have to fix the roof. Right. The reality is you got to fix the roof. And we were able to do some of those things in this year's budget. And I think we need to do more of those things as we move forward in planning for 2025 and other types of policy changes to help make sure that we're addressing some of the most press- pressing needs. So that's what we'll talk about next. Sure. In in twenty two, what's going to happen in twenty twenty five? What do we need to happen? What are our hopes? What are our dreams? What's our vision for a better tomorrow? That's Monique Stanton, Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We'll all three be back with you in just a moment. Food first, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for being with us. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here, Food First Michigan, and our superstar guest, Monique Stanton from the Michigan League for Public Policy. And we're talking policy priorities and some of the work that's been done in the past. But I know this audience pretty well. They're future focused, Monique. Mm -hmm. So as great as the last year or so has been in, in these budgets for the state, What's next? So one of the things that we're working on at the League in partnership with Mothering Justice and a number of other organizations is 
trying to create a paid family leave program in Michigan. So there's legislation that's out there right now. Paid family leave is an essential support, especially when we talk about issues of equity, which we were just talking about. Everybody needs paid family leave. Uh, At some point, maybe you or your spouse, you're going to have a child. Uh, At some point, either you, your spouse, parent, or child is going to get sick and needs to be cared for. And so these types of programs allow for a person to go out on leave and be paid a portion of their salary so they're not losing their job, facing economic insecurity, needing to rely on our now social safety net GoFundMe because they've lost their job while they're taking care of somebody. And so something like this is an important way to make sure that people are able to stay connected to the workforce and take the leave at some of the most critical times in their life. So where the rubber meets the road on this, I'm working at a small business. Mm -hmm. Uh, My parents are sick. I have to go take care of them. Right. What happens with this paid family leave? Right. What happens? So in so in Michigan, what we're talking about is a, is a payroll tax. So those contributions are split between the employer and the employee. Uh, when that person needs to go out on leave, they would apply. Uh, so you'd have to provide some type of documentation for the amount of leave that they would need. And then you, they would be paid uh, through, through the... Uh, and basically an insurance program that's run by the state. And so what that means is the small business isn't paying that person's salary while they're out on leave, and they could use that money uh, either to pay overtime for their other workers or pay some type of incentive or a temporary worker while that person's out on leave. For businesses that are under 25 people, they wouldn't have to pay that employer contribution at all. So that so this is a way for them to be able to be competitive, maybe to larger organizations that have paid family leave that are, that are a part of their, um, that they're losing maybe work, workers for. And does this different, you, we talked a second ago about the insurance side of it. So, the, so uh, for my team at the Food Bank Council, um, so, <clears throat> just say one of them left on uh, because she was pregnant. And so my CFO came and said, okay, so we need to do the disability policy, which I hated that term, by the way. Uh, I don't think it's a disability to go bring a life into the world. I don't, but for the same, you know, just for all the responsibilities we have, we have that policy for her. Right. So this this is something separate than a short-term disability policy. This is something that would be run by the state of Michigan, and employers and employers would pay for it through that payroll tax. So that contribution is is then available for individuals when they need to access that leave. So it could be for they have a child. It could be that your child has cancer mm-hmm. or your parent is in hospice care. Right. And so those are really difficult times in people's lives. Uh, that are also very expensive. When you have somebody that is having a major medical issue, because of our healthcare system, it's expensive. So the thought of of risking losing your job is even more stressful. Right. And so then that's paid for uh, by the through through that insurance program that would be facilitated by the state. And there's some benefit for the employer there too, right. as I think I heard you say. Right. Right. So for the employer, because you've paid for this contribution, you're not paying for that salary while that person's out. Right. Uh, you can use those dollars that you would be typically paying a salary to pay for overtime for other staff to make up the hours, to maybe hire a temporary worker or give somebody a bonus to make sure that work is being
being covered. And then for some organizations, it's really difficult to offer these types of programs. And so you're losing workers maybe to go to a bigger company or a company that offers paid family leave. You now have access to that. So that's now something that you can use as a a recruitment tool and, and a way to support your staff. So it's a benefit that mm-hmm. certainly helps the employee mm-hmm. who's got to take the time to to take care of whatever right. it is they need because to take Because they're going to need of. that time no matter what. That's right. right. Whether happens. there's a paid family leave program happens, or not, right. which is how we're living today. Right. And as someone that has, you know, over 100 staff people, it happens and right. we have to deal with it now, right? And right. so so it's 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 something we know could be better for right. sure. So so you've got a benefit to the to the employee, you have a benefit to the employer who can now afford to bring on help for this person who has to leave, which is one of the problems with FMLA is the person is guaranteed to to have their job when they come back, but you don't have any money to pay anyone while they're gone. So how do you get the work done, right? And so this is a way to help the company Get the work done while you're taking care of the staff person, which is not only great from a culture perspective, but it's also great from a cost-benefit perspective, right? right? There's there's a lot of benefits. And when you look at other states, so Minnesota recently just enacted theirs. California has a plan. Other states across the country have paid family leave. We would be, I believe, the 13th state if we Mm -hmm. were to do this, 12th or 13th. and their economies are doing well. So this isn't something that's going to blow up our economy if if we offer paid family leave. You know, right now in Michigan, there's a lot of talk about how do we attract and recruit people to our state and how do we retain people? This is a way to help make Michigan more attractive. It would be something that's transformational for families. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, going back to that question of equity, you know, it's often lower wage workers, people of color that don't have access to these types of programs. And so creating a universal program in our state gives access to everybody and will have a a positive disproportionate impact on low wage workers and people of color and women. Sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty good. I, you know, I think again, policies like this that we can at least have the conversations about, think through understand the cost benefit as well as the moral obligation right. it's balancing those out um you know i'm just happy we can have the conversation now mm-hmm. you know that means we're getting healthier as a right. as a culture right. that we can have these kinds of conversations and and then enact the right policy right. Uh, you know and the way we all know how this works we might not all get exactly what we want initially but we're starting someplace. Right. And you look at other wealthy economies and countries across the world, the United States is the only one that's not doing this. And so this is something that we can do if we think that this is a priority. And, and I will say this, I've said this multiple times, GoFundMe can be great, but it should not be our social safety net. Yeah. And so you should not, if you have cancer... You should not be worried about losing your job. If your child has cancer, you want to make sure that you're at their bedside. If you have a child that's in the NICU, you shouldn't have to worry about, do I need to go to work so I can pay this astronomical health care bill or make sure that lights are on when that kid comes home? You should, need the t- you should be able to have the time without facing economic insecurity to make sure that you're taking care of yourself and your loved ones. All right. So there's our topic for the next time you come, because uh, I have a working theory that if we just expanded health care for everyone that making $60,000, $70,000 and less in household income, 
that we would probably uh, go a long way in creating food security. Yes, I, I so that sounds like a good argument. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna invite you back to have sure. that discussion with Jerry and I next. Monique, thanks for being with us, and uh, again, thanks for standing in the gap for so many families across Michigan. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you, Jerry, and I are back in just a moment. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for being with us. Monique Stanton. Uh, I like Monique. She is thoughtful about this work, Jerry, and I'm glad she made the trip into the studio today. Well, it's it's showcases just another element of, of what does it really take to solve a complex problem, right? You, you can't just expect it to come to you as you're sleeping at night, though that happens sometimes, right? <laughs> that actually, yeah, you got to work hard at it. You got to think carefully about it. You got to collect information. You've got you've to synthesize it and then step away from it and then start asking other people about it, right? And, and so this idea, the league, right? The Michigan League. It's not the Michigan me, right? right? The Michigan me for public policy. That's not what it is. It's the Michigan League. And they've they've had that idea for a long time, and they practice it. They get a lot of people with them on the journey thinking about how do we create better communities. And there's a lot of room to question and debate and ask, and that's what they do. Right. You have to have an environment where people can ask questions about any issue, Say, what does it mean about this? What does it mean about this, right? Um, and our job in, 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 you know, creating a food secure state is to do the same thing, right? Monique and her team are great partners for us that have really valuable information that make us smarter and better. And then they're also just great people that are fun to spend time with. Right. And I think that gives me hope. Yeah. You know, when when super smart, talented people... And and honestly, when you look over the history of the show, uh, the guests here have been a who's who of influencers and thought leaders, uh, subject matter experts on various topics that impact the ability to create a food secure state. And Monique Stanton is top of that list without a doubt and so wonderful talking to her and and getting more insight into her approach to the work and where information comes from and what does it lead her to think about the things that can make a bigger difference you know the the paid family medical leave i learned a lot about that just sitting here listening to her talk about it right and you could see how well thought out she she you know and that's her approach the other thing, too, as I really like about Monique's leadership is she doesn't listen to respond. She listens to learn. Yeah. yeah. And I think we could all take a little bit of that and apply it to our life. Yeah. You looked pretty hard at me there, doctor, and I'm guessing <laughs> that was for a reason. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's a good thing for you. We're on radio and not TV. Uh, <laughs> for so many reasons. Absolutely right. So, you know, but she does. She 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 thoughtfully listens uh, to people, and that's how she's been able to build coalitions. And she's been right there on some of these things, and she's going to be right there, her and her team. And I would say that's a that's a that's a that's a hallmark of her leadership, and that has permeated and and trickled down through the league's culture. They do listen to learn, not just to respond. 
And many folks, as you know, you have discussions with that might not share your point of view or my point of view. They listen to respond to us rather than listen to learn. Well, and and people base so much of their thinking on their own experience. And and that's a valid thing. I don't want to take away from the importance of reflecting about whatever your experience is. But to realize that there's all kinds of people in the world that also have experiences. And if we don't get past our own, you know, what we've experienced and therefore think is true, then we have no option but to fight each other about things we don't understand. Right. We have got to we've got to embrace our experience, but then be willing to hear other experience to fill in the gaps around what what is life and how do you begin to solve the complex problems that life brings along? Well, and I think there can be agreement on these are problems that need to be solved. I think the differences come in about how to do that and who's responsible and to which I would say we all are, including the people who are who are in the in the difficult circumstance. And that's why we look at this work more as investment than just charity. That's exactly right. Time for a little food for thought, Jerry. Vision is primary, but execution is key. To bring the right policies to life, especially through the legislative process, it takes champions. But before you can build a champion, you must build a relationship, then inform, educate, and Think about the moral reasons for doing something good for people, but there must also be a cost-benefit analysis, and this is the work, as Jerry often says. It is the work of the League, and it is the work of the Food Bank Council of Michigan as well. We are all visionaries, but we are far more than just leaders who cast vision We work to execute plans, programs, and pilots. We learn, we fail, and we try again because we want Michigan and America to be a place where food insecurity exists only in a history book and never in the life of a child, a senior, or a family. And this is why we strive to put food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.